In the 1860s, the phrase bleeding heart wasn't an insult. It almost always had some religious meaning attached to it, something about devotion, sincerity, like Stanley said, and in a way that was often tacit, just kind of understood. It had something to do with the heart of Jesus. For easily centuries before that, bleeding heart mostly pointed to heartbreak. It seems like bleeding heart first showed up in a 14th century Chaucer poem, Troilus worried that Cressida would never have given him heed and thought he felt his heart to bleed. I used the old English spellings on the page. It didn't start to gather steam as a political term until the 1930s, when a columnist named Westbrook Pegler used it. Always bombastic and controversial, he was outraged about a holdup in Congress. While people were starving to death in the Great Depression, some legislators were anxious to put policies in place to make sure people got fed. Other legislators were, in Pegler's estimation, stalling the entire legislative process in a fight for a law intended at most, he said, to save 14 lives a year. The law in question was an anti-lynching bill. Pegler was against lynching too, but he was pretty sure that that evil was just about cured by local governments. The feds didn't need to worry about it anymore. They should focus on the big picture. After all, as he wrote, not that many people were being lynched. It was only, he wrote, the professional bleeding hearts who cared, who Pegler thought were hypocrites. Pegler really liked the phrase, and he kind of took to it, a little dog to a bone. He shook it at people advocating for what was called collective medicine. He shook it at a rival columnist. By 1940, for his most common usage, he'd settled on bleeding heart humanitarians and bleeding heart liberals. The next influential person to use it and love it was Senator Joe McCarthy, 1954. Then it really caught on in the 60s. And it was in that decade that the next influential person to use it picked it up. Ronald Reagan folded it into his origin story. I used to be quite the bleeding heart liberal, he told Newsweek. By 1970, he'd settled on the self-identifier former bleeding heart Democrat. So given that history and our personality as a congregation, it'll be no surprise to you that from the jump, people on the receiving end of this insult said, we'll take it. You're criticizing me because I'm against uh, lynching, because I'm pro-medical care? Go ahead. Nasty old Westbrook Pegler, if he were here, would growl that that's not the criticism. The criticism is that bleeding hearts are tender to a fault, focused on the wrong things, hypocritical in where we place our attention. We're performative, we're sentimental, we're not up to the difficult and bracing work of making real justice. And that paragraph is how I accidentally ended up comparing Westbrook Pegler to the prophet Isaiah. Please hold, we're gonna work our way out of that corner later. Bleeding heart plants are a kind of ubiquitous garden favorite. They're relatively easy to grow, they like shade. It's hard in my experience as a Chicagoan with a shady back porch to find brightly colored flowers that like the shade. They're perennials, meaning they come back season after season. 
and they can attract hummingbirds. What's not to love? The ones on the front of the bulletin, those are the ones that I picture when I picture bleeding hearts. The ones on the bulletin are native to parts of Asia, although they're all over now. And there's a, there's a North American version too for you gardeners who are keeping track. It's not related, but it has a similar shape. There's a little bit of debate about whether bleeding hearts are in fact ephemerals. Some species definitely are, some aren't, and maybe some aren't true ephemerals. But here's what it looks like in any case. After the plant blooms in the spring, if and when it gets hot, they wither up. They go yellow, then brown, get crispy. There's a, a mound at the base of what was the plant, a knot, a clump that I had trouble finding a picture of on the internet, which is a place you can find a picture of anything. An ephemeral, or even a plant that acts like one, is a plant that dies back above the ground after flowering. It puts all its energy into making blooms, or making seeds, really, the blooms are just to attract pollinators. But the plant throws itself into that energetically, the fingery compound leaves and long fleshy stems, not woody or dry, they arc up out of that center knot. I'm specifically back to bleeding hearts here, and they do their thing. In the case of bleeding heart, that's like 20 little pendant blossoms per stem. And then, and pretty quickly, it's done. The blossom's gone to seed, the seeds drop to self-propagate if conditions are right. The thing that makes an ephemeral ephemeral, besides how fast it all happens, is that while it looks dead, all the underground parts are still very much alive. The roots and rhizomes under the ground soaking up water, storing up nutrients, and saving energy for the next season. The people that Isaiah was talking to were parched. It had been a long couple of hundred years, and while things had gotten better, they weren't great. And the people were not wrong to turn to God and the practices that had long connected them to God. Um, in the part before what Vince read, the people are described as seeking God. They delight to know God's ways and to draw near to God. But Isaiah tells them they're getting it wrong. Sometimes, often, this passage gets preached about empty piety. I don't know all of y'all, but I don't think we're in danger of empty piety. Sometimes, often, this passage gets preached as about not exactly ignoring justice. This passage gets preached about the fact that we shouldn't ignore justice, that we shouldn't fail to serve those in need. And I don't think we're in danger of that either. I don't even know if the people Isaiah was talking to were in danger of that. I think it's possible that they and we are in danger of thinking that saving the world, saving ourselves is up to us. That if and when we do the right things, the right ways, we'll be able to fix things for ourselves and for others. And to be fair, to be clear, 
God, in the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, is asking the people, by whom I mean us, to do something, several things. They're right there in a list. Share bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover them. Maybe the hardest of all in some circumstances, not hide from your own kin. Stop pointing the finger and speaking of evil. Go ahead and satisfy the needs of the afflicted. It's a serious list of inconvenient things, actions that are close to home. Share your bread with the homeless, with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. Don't hide yourself from kin, whether that's blood relatives or the vast human family, when temptation exists to forget how closely related we are to the strangers we pass, to the strangers mourning loved ones lost in earthquakes, lost to war, lost to police abuse of power, and, and yes, those strangers too who are police and strangers who failed to put policy in place to protect others and strangers who make the war. It's a serious and exhausting, if not exhaustive, list. And Isaiah says, buck up, buttercup. Get to work. Nobody cares how you feel. I think that's the Westbrook Pegler part of him. Enough boo-hooing, you bleeding hearts. People need us, not our emotions, not our passionate displays. But the prophet, however cantankerous and plain-spoken, he's no name-caller. If anything, he's the worst, most archetypal bleeding heart who wants God's justice for all people. And not just God's justice, but mercy. And not just mercy, but abundance and delight. What God wants, God tells us in the mouth of this old-time, wild-eyed, bleeding heart, is for all people to be free, with their needs met and with healthy bodies, with what has been ruined, rebuilt, with a bright future for many generations. What God wants is freedom for all people, the oppressed and those struggling under the yoke and those laying the yoke on others' shoulders. Freedom from anxiety and freedom for piety. Freedom to see each other and ourselves not as a means to an end, whether that's some financial gain or just proof that we're living right. To see each other not as an object of pity or duty, but as real, fully realized human beings. Here's what mad dog Westbrook Pegler got wrong. Some of what he got wrong. It's not wrong to focus in closely on injustice and violence, however few it harms. Here's some of what Edward Stanley, that bleeding heart union general, got wrong. He was an enslaver. Part of his speech attempted to reassure his listeners that the institution of slavery was not under threat. Here's some of what people lobbing around bleeding heart as an insult get wrong. The bleeding heart when blossoming is described as soft. Even in one place I saw this week, juicy. And that's not wrong. What's wrong is thinking that that's not what's needed. What's wrong is thinking that living like that needs to suck all of the power out of our ability to fight and persevere. What's wrong is thinking that what's needed for stamina is to be hard and dry and brittle. And here's some of what we get wrong. 
We, like everybody else since Isaiah's time and before, are in danger of thinking it's all up to us to get right, to figure out, to pass the right legislation, to do the right acts of service, to take up the right questions of justice. And that is important. Everyone since Isaiah and before, even a mad dog like Pegler, knows that there are righteous actions that matter regardless of the scale. We, like everyone else since Isaiah's time and before, are in danger of doing what we think we ought to rather than what God wants. We are in danger of forgetting that we are ephemeral, that our days are like grass. We wither and die. We're in danger of forgetting that God is our source and springs up eternally, that when we are rooted in God, all our justice and devotion and care arcs up from the very center of us, that when we live like that, letting what nourishes us create new life and healing and hope and a future for all those around us. When conditions are right, it's all self-propagating. It starts others on the cycle of living like that, rooted in love, offering in our season the justice that the world needs. And then, although it doesn't come from us, although it's not our job but God's, although we don't do it by dint of will, we will be called repairers of the breach. We will be graced with the names restorers of streets to live in. We will be given the name bleeding hearts. Bleeding hearts. 